every nine days in Tishbab, I have this struggle because I don't like being sad. <laughs> it doesn't, not only do I not like being sad, I feel like when I'm sad, I'm not motivated to serve Hashem in the same way and to, to do mitzvahs in the same way. So, what's going on with these nine days of Av where we're trying to be more sad? And Tisha B'Av, we're not really supposed to be happy at all. We're not even allowed to learn Torah because it's going to make us happy. Be dwelling on being sad over the lack of Beit HaMikdash. So a part of me just wants to skip over it, get through it, and move on to be happy again. Because I don't see really how it helps my service of Hashem, and I'd rather focus on self-growth and, and introspection. That, that I'm okay with, but just to be mourning for the sake of mourning, it's not something that I and I think a lot of other people connect to. You with me? So, so my, my wife was suggesting that, no, there is value in, um, in just being sad for the sake of being sad during these days. And so when I opened up the Nativa Shalom, I, was out, I had that in mind, and we'll, we'll kind of see what his angle is and what, what the Nativa Shalom thinks these nine days, really these three weeks, but now we're in the nine days starting uh, Rosh Chodesh Av, in particular, Tishvav are all about. So let's let's go inside. Chazal Amru Shoalim Vedorshin Behilchas Hamoed. Chazal teach us that whenever there's a holiday, we should uh, ask about it. Thirty days beforehand, you know, by Pesach, and a few days before each holiday, you have to look into the meaning behind the holiday. The idea is that in every holiday, in every time, there's a unique avoda, some, some eternal idea that we have to deepen. And really we should be deepening it all year round, but, um, but this is the time we focus on it, right? So in Sukkot we focus on Simcha, and Pesach we focus on freedom. Chanukah we focus on Torah Shabbat Peh. So what's the, the, the thing we're supposed to be focusing on? What's the Avodah Hashem we're supposed to be focusing on um, during these nine days? Surely it can't just be that we remember the past just for the sake of the past. Because we don't just remember things because they happen and just because they're interesting. That's, that's not what Am Yisrael is about. It has to connect to my future and to my present. So what's the idea behind mourning during these days? Ukfar Amurazal, the rabbis have taught us, Zera alamet, shistakech minalev, shneemar nashkachti kamimilev. Avakan katuv, imashkachach yushalayim, 
Normally we find that God purposefully has a, a, a dead person forget that all the travails that he faced. It's a chesed of Hashem that you, you may have loved someone, but you know eventually you move, you move on. But yet here we're vowing, if I forget Yerushalayim, I'll forget my right hand. My, my, my right hand. And I'll never forget the destruction of Beis HaMikdash. Yerushalayim is something that you can't forget. If I could think that the, the, the destruction of the base maker is not important, and it's like I'm losing my right hand. And the question is why? Why is it so important to be holding on and mourning Yerushalayim? What, what, how does that help us? Any ideas? And okay, so so you're saying it helps us if we understand what we're missing, we can long for Gula. And why is it important to long for Gula? And why is it important to have something to look forward to the eternal Shabbos? Because then there's something worth living for. Okay, beautiful. So you're saying. That by mourning, it keeps us yearning, which actually gives us hope. Right? Like Hatikva, the national anthem of the, Jew, of the Israeli people. The idea is to always have hope. So, interestingly enough, by mourning, it's giving us hope that there's something better than what the, the world that we live in today. Yeah? Okay, so you're saying not only does it give us hope, but it also gives us, ultimately, when we get it, it's going to give us appreciation because we long for it. We yearn for it. Beautiful. And it can also give us peace of mind, knowing that it's coming. Because God does everything for the good. So, um, if we love to the sadness, then we don't, we don't get to enjoy the... So what I'm hearing is that we don't want to become numb to the sadness because we will ultimately lose touch with our own emotions and feelings and we won't even truly tap into the pleasure, to the joy that is to come, right? Or that is, for example. I think you're very right. For example, even in modern day Israel, if a person never really understood what, what it was like to live without a state, what the Inquisition was, what the Holocaust was, so they won't really appreciate what it is to have a, a free state and not be 
you know, not have pogroms and, and, and you know, be able, be able to live. You only get the appreciation once you've also had the pain and the, and, uh, and the connection to the brokenness. Yeah? All right, beautiful. Let's see what Nteva Shalom has to say. But I, I was just, you know, one last note. What you're saying reminds me of the phrase in Chazal that only those who mourn over Yerushalayim will be able to rejoice in Yerushalayim. So those two emotions apparently are interconnected. Which we know is also true in modern psychology that, you know, if you block off your emotions of sadness, you won't truly be able to connect to joy. You know, and people who are able to feel deeper sadness are also able to feel deeper joy. So there is value in feeling pain sometimes. Okay, but let's look what the, what the Rebbe has to say. It's clearly, we have a value that we're not okay with the status quo. You know, there were, there were movements at different points in Jewish history where they wanted to erase Zionism, erase the hopes for Zionism because it made them feel like ungrateful German citizens or wherever they were at. We're, we're happy with the situation. We're not obsessed with the future. We're, you know, we're, we're not always... And this is saying, no. We're, we're, we're yearning for more. We're not okay with the situation. We're always praying for the base of Migdash. Yeah? And in fact, the Rebbe Mikuvrin says, the worst thing is when you're okay with the, the status quo. It's better to be upset about a situation than it is to be okay with a bad situation. That's the greatest disaster, says the Rebbe Mikuvrin. Kamai Sashaya. And it's an interesting story. The Rebbe Ma'apta, the Apta Rebbe, you know, was uh, having a meeting with the, with the Jew. And the Jew was telling him about all of his woes, that this is not, the business is not well, and Shalom Bayez is not well. And the Rebbe was not so moved. He didn't seem to really, you know, Mishtatef Pizarro, he didn't seem to really connect. And he says, what about the fact that they didn't bring the korban to me? You're not worried about that at all. So, imagine trying that next time, you know, next time someone comes up to you and they're telling them about all your hard, their hard situation. Your wife had a terrible day at work and she's telling you about all, all the bad things and you say, yeah, but what about the, the we don't have a korban tummy? <laughs> See if it works. But the Rebbe and the app, they can get away with it. But what, what's the idea that this story is trying to express? That on the one hand, we have our own personal pains, but at the other hand, there is a value that we can never forget the, the, the pain of Klal Yisrael, the pain of the Shekhinah, the, the general pain of the Chorban. 
We can't be okay with the fact that the base of Megiddo is destroyed. And three times a day, we ask God, bring us back Yerushalayim. Right? We just sang it. And every time you bench, and under your wedding chuppah, and plus, you know, to bring the Mashiach. Right? Count it up ten times a day, we're yearning for more. If you look at the, the high holidays, you look at the, the Korbanot, the Musafim during the high holidays, and if you look at Yom Kippur, it's, it's all about yearning for the Beit HaMikdash. We wish we had a Korban Musaf. And we go through the whole avoda of, uh, of Yom Kippur, trying to feel some sort of yearning for the Beit HaMikdash. And Chabadnikim, right? How do they how do they end the, the their davenings? Every davening. Right? That and we end off our davening asking for the base of Migdash. In fact, the end of our Amidah, we're asking for the temple. We're not okay with the status quo. We're, we're we we need more. It's not okay. Okay, good. Moshe Amrin, Avinu Malkeno Galek Vod Malchotecha Leinu Mehera. Reveal your glory, Melech Rachman. Rachem Leinu, have mercy. Shuva Leinu, return to us. Okay, now here's a key line. Vayistakakut, hi. Vayistakakut, hazot the yearning, hu bechinat shakorbanos. It's like it's like korbanos. The whole idea of yearning. When you're yearning for the base of Migdash, it's like you're bringing a korban. You know, I just thought of an idea. Imagine you went on a trip away from your beloved wife for a full month, and she calls you, and she says, do you miss me? And you say, nah, not really. I kind of got used to it. How does that make her feel? Not so great. Not so great. So imagine Hashem separating from us all these years, Chorban Beit Mikdash, and we say, yeah, we're okay with it. It's fine. We've gotten used to it. It's cool. It's not cool. And the yearning for the Beit Mikdash itself, the yearning for redemption, it itself is a Korban. That is what makes a Korban. Wow. Moshe Katuv, the Rebbe writes, You know what? When you yearn for something, that's greater than even the thing itself. It's true with many things in life. You know, you can have weeks yearning for watching the big game, or, and, then you, and then that's it. You have the game and it's over. But the weeks yearning for it, that's what creates their connection. The seven weeks of counting up to receiving the Torah on Shavuos, in many ways, are even more powerful than Shavuos itself. It's about the yearning. Yeah? You with me? Yeah. That itself is the first step in the building of the Beit HaMikdash. In the power, of the Beit HaMikdash is built the first 
brick in the wall is our yearning. It's like all of the tears that we have are stored in a special place, and that creates the energy that will ultimately uh, build, be the foundation for the base of Megdash. When a Jew is sad by the lack of light, that used to be lit up in the base of Megdash, he's yearning for it so much, that itself helps the building of the Beit HaMikdash. These are the three weeks when we are meant to really focus on this yearning. So it turns out that we are beginning to build the Beit HaMikdash during this time period. And in particular on Tishbav, that's the time when we really need to tap into this yearning for Mashiach energy. And the more you yearn for it, you not only bring the general redemption closer, but you bring your individual redemption clo- closer. That's why there's a story where Rav Cook used to actually, he was, he was found by Rav Moshe Harlop in a little shack, crying like a baby over the lack of Beit HaMikdash. On a random night, wasn't Tisha B'Av, but doing Tikkun Chatzot and Mamish crying. He was so connected to redemption, he was so broken by by the by the, the by the lack of Shechina and by the the fact that the the, the Shechina has been exiled into the world. Big tzaddikim are really able to connect to that. This is the idea of tikkun chatzot, and it's an important avoda. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's it's interesting. What this? We'll just pause for a second. So what I was trying to argue last night when I was having this discussion was that, you know, I, what does it do for me being sad, right? Like, I'd rather work on my midos, not speak Lashon Hara, do acts of kindness, all that other practical stuff that we talk about the whole year, right? I want to bring the redemption through my actions. Being sad isn't helping my actions, seemingly. But the, the Nativa Shalom is, is reminding me that it's not true. On a spiritual level, metaphysically, we may not see it, but that yearning is creating the first steps of the redemption. That crying that I'm able to do during these nine days is intrinsically powerful. Not powerful because of something. It itself is a mitzvah, so to speak. And if... And yes, the avoda of Tishabov is just to be broken about, not broken just in general, but to be broken about the fact that we're still in exile. Later will come the actions. But during these days, we are focusing, we're getting ourselves ready to focus on what we're missing. Yeah? I'll give, I'll give a very practical example. Soon, Bezrat Hashem, we're going to do a little class on the laws of Tisha B'Av. 
Yeah? And we'll see that Rav Soloveitchik suggests that the laws of the three weeks, the nine days, and Tishabov parallel the days of mourning, the laws of mourning during the first year, which aligns with the three weeks, during the month after someone passes away, which aligns with the nine days and the week, week of mourning. And, and Tisha B'Av is like the day of mourning. It's like the week of mourning. So, have you ever been in a shiva house? Has anyone here ever been in a shiva house? Where you're in the week when someone passed away? Has anyone ever had that experience? So imagine you go into a, 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 a mourning house during the week when someone's mourning. And you start saying, hey, I know he passed away, but let's be practical. It's not, there's no point being sad. Let's just, uh, let's just talk about practically what mishnayis we could learn and what mitzvahs we could do and you know, what chesed we could do for the world in this person's honor. Is that the appropriate thing to do when you're at the shiva house? No. So what are you supposed to do? You don't talk, right? Exactly. You just honor them. You don't do anything. You're just with them. And you just feel their pain. So a little bit, what, what, what's happening on Tisha B'Av, it's fine. Yeah, we only any, I think the, the Zoom is running out soon, unfortunately. But the, on Tisha B'Av, we're like in that Shiva house with each other and with Hashem. And it's not necessarily, at least on the night of Tisha B'Av, it's not, the focus is not about what I need to do and what chesed and what mitzvah projects. That's the other 364 and a half days of the year when we talk about that stuff. The focus on Tisha B'Av, and now we're kind of getting ready for that, is to just be broken. It's just to be sad a little bit. From that brokenness will sprout all of the light and all of the redemption. But the, 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 the Indian is just to be broken for the sake of being broken, truthfully. We may not be ready to go there. It may not be healthy for me on a personal level. But we have to recognize that even if we're not broken, yearning for that redemption is intrinsically, um, and intrinsically worthwhile. And praying for the redemption, that is the main thing to be doing these days. When we have those three prayer times, when we're praying for Yerushalayim, and we're praying for Etzemach David, that's like the highlight of the day during these three weeks. Yeah? And of course, it's a balance at different times of the year. During Yom Yerushalayim, Yom Atzmut, we're celebrating, we're dancing, we're not mourning. On Shabbos, we're singing and dancing. But these, this is a time, not every moment of the day, we can live normal lives. But this is a time when we be focusing on yearning. Yearning for more. Yearning for more presence of God in our lives and in the lives of, of the world. And asking ourselves, how can I bring more of the presence of life, of God, in my life? And talking to God about that. Okay? Alright, we're going to keep going. Um, by the way, I just want to make a note of something. 
we have 10 minutes left, but I, I do want to note something that a lot of people misunderstand. So we all know that in the nine days, starting on Sunday, not on Shabbat, but on Sunday, we don't drink wine and we don't eat meat, okay? Now, generally, it's assumed that the reason we don't drink wine and we don't drink meat, eat meat during these days is why? To be? To be holy, that's a nice idea, but I think most people think about it to be sad. Because wine makes us happy, that's why we drink it on Shabbos, and, 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 and meat makes us happy, right? And certainly there is an element of that in the equation. But interestingly enough, there are other things which kind of make us happier, which are not forbidden. For example, you're allowed to have whiskey. You're allowed to have vodka. You're allowed to, I don't know, exercise. Those things make you happy, and they're grape not that different. Why? Can we have grape juice? We don't have grape juice, and grape juice actually doesn't have that alcoholic effect. So what's, what's going on here? Why, why, why not? It would seem like... If it's about happiness, then other things should be forbidden. So the, the answer is like this. It's because when did we used to bring sacrifices and have wine libations? At the time of the Beit Migdash. And we had a temple. So we're trying to remind ourselves that we don't have a temple anymore. It's not just about being sad. So the, the, so yeah. But the grape wine, exactly. That's why we don't have meat and we don't have wine because uh, that's the the sacrifices and the wine libations that were offered on the on the on the, on the, on the, on the altar. No. Yeah. Similarly, by the way, think about music. As we all know, during the three weeks, and especially during the nine days, the custom of the Jewish people is not to listen to live music, and many even refrain from, uh, from background, from music on your computer. What does music have to do? Is that the only expression of sadness? Obviously not. But what does music remind us of? Happiness. Happiness, but when else did we hear music? We heard music in the base of Migdash. Remember the Levim were singing uh, at, 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 when the sacrifices were being brought? Yeah. By the way, that's why there's a custom here in Yerushalayim where we're sitting. Many don't have live music in the old city of Yerushalayim because we still have to remember the pain of lacking of the temple, the pain of the lack of Beit HaMikdash. But this one's a, a, a bit, maybe you might think it's a bit of a stretch, but it's, I think it makes sense. There's also a custom not to wear new laundered clothing and, and not to bathe uh, if you don't have to. Now, we know nowadays if it's really hot, you can bathe in warm or cold water if, as long as, if you're really bothered. But originally the custom was not to wear new clothing, new laundered clothing, and not to bathe. So, so again, let's think about it. Do we have a connection between bathing and the Beit Mikdash? Well, the Kohanim, they used to go to the ritual bath all the time in the Beit Mikdash. 
right? So they were constantly bathing. Sure. And they were, oh, what would they do after they would bathe? They would change into new clothing. Right? They would take a bath in the Beit HaMikdash? Well, outside of the Beit HaMikdash, they would go for a ritual bath. They would immerse themselves. That's why there's hundreds of ritual baths here in the old city. Right? So, I don't know. I, I, I think it makes a lot of sense that, again, we're reminding ourselves that we don't have a Beit HaMikdash, and we're trying to focus on yearning for that Beit HaMikdash, and all of these morning customs are connected to that. They're also to make us a little sad, like a Shiva, but they're also connected to the lack of Beit HaMikdash. Yeah? Yeah. And as Ratashem, you know, we'll make another share probably Sunday uh, to go through all the laws of the nine days and, and, and what the, all the different customs are. But, getting back to our point, so uh, it's all about yearning. Okay, let's just do a little bit more uh, Hasidus and uh, we have four minutes left to call it a day. This is a story that was a big philosopher who saw Yirmiyahu mourning for the Beit HaMikdash. And he asked him, Yirmiyahu, you're pretty, you look like a smart guy. Why are you mourning for something that happened thousands of years ago? Like, what does that help? Who's that helping? And Yirmiyahu answered, you won't understand. And what I think the story is trying to express is that the yearning of, for the Beit HaMikdash is something to our soul that's not translatable to like to philosophy and 2 plus 2 equals 4. It changes our soul naturally. It's like hearing a beautiful song. You can't explain why hearing a beautiful song makes you feel a certain way. It just makes you feel a certain way. So similarly, there's just something about yearning... Like it can be rationalized. Right, exactly. I, I can talk to you from here to, to China about what, what's the... Um, yeah, the story is that it's about Yirmiyahu. It's true that it did actually happen in his time. So it's an interesting story that Jeremiah's... Uh, the, the, the exile happened in his time. It's true. Like, is that so weird if he'd be staying there morning and it happened just now? It's true, but the story is told about Yirmiyahu, even though it wasn't so far, far, far away from him. But in any case, Bezrat Hashem, we will continue to study during these nine days and, uh, and to deepen our understanding. But idea for today is very, very simple. There's just something about yearning and mourning that that's what these nine days are about. And it's something about that yearning transforms our souls. So let's not just leave this as a nice idea. Let's take a minute to really, right now, sing and yearn for the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash. And you can sing with me. Imeshgagen, Yerushalayim.